We are in a revolution. But it is a revolution in which the side that fires the first shot loses. We will not fire any shots because our weapon is uncommon good sense. Good day and welcome to the Tractor Time Podcast, brought to you by Acres USA, the voice of eco-agriculture. I am your host, Ryan Slaybaugh, and today our episode is focused on soil health and the philosophies of Glenn Ravenberg. If you know Glenn, uh, you know he spent a lifetime building his system, uh, and that it really does work across climates, soil types, uh, crops. Um, and in the next hour, we're going to ask him to walk through that journey of how we piece together the knowledge and the wisdom he needed to eventually start his company, Soilworks, which helps so many farmers around the world. Um, as you will also hear, Glenn will be leading a farm tour at our Healthy Soil Summit, August 21st to 22nd in Davis, California. Registration is open at www.acresusa.com. Uh, we're only going to be allowed about 150, 200 people into the event, so please sign up soon. Uh, we'd love to see you there. Glenn will also be working with us to produce a series of podcasts that we're going to release this summer that are focused on short, simple tactics that you can employ on your farm or garden to increase and improve your soil life. Uh, one other quick announcement, we will also be opening registration to our annual conference this year in Minneapolis, Minnesota, December 9th through 12th. Uh, we're going to be opening that in May. We have a ton of great speakers, some new, including Marty Travis, the star farmer in Sustainable, uh, Doug Fine, the author of, author of Hempbound, will be helping us lead an all-day hemp session. Uh, we would really want to see you there. Uh, we'll be talking about biodiversity, regenerative agriculture, diversification tactics, and a whole lot more. But today's Tractor Time podca- podcast excuse me, is Soil, Soil, Soil with Glenn Ravenberg. We're going to go through his life journey and figure out, uh, try to learn as much as he knows in an hour. So, Glenn, welcome to the Tractor Time podcast. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Where are you calling in from? Uh, help us paint the scene. Well, I am calling in from our home office, which is in the town of Yankton, which is in the great state of South Dakota. Um, Yankton is located in the southeast portion of South Dakota along the Missouri River with beautiful rolling bluffs, and it's perfect for grazing stock cows. Is the Missouri behaving itself today? Uh, For us, it is, but uh, unfortunately for people in Sioux City, they're not enjoying the Missouri River right now and yeah. probably won't for quite some time. Man, well, I'm glad you guys got out of that mess, but uh, we're, our hearts go out to all those others who are uh, uh, looking at a long road ahead of them, of recovery. Uh, it seems oh, like, yeah. Uh, well, uh, one of the things, and what we talked about today is, is, is certainly soil resilience, uh, bringing soil um, back to the way nature intended, which is something, um, if you've ever heard Glenn Rabenberg speak, you've probably heard him say that. Uh, so, and that's really the tagline that we wanted to start this conversation with and help uh, us all understand kind of that, that, that platform that you speak on. So could you help us understand what that saying, bring soil back to the way nature intended, what does that mean to you, Glenn, and, and where did that come from? Well, you know what, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. It, um, what we've noticed that in today's agriculture, we're experiencing and have experienced a lot of technology, genetic modification, GPS, precision planting, and extremely strong chemistry, which is showing, well, long-term effects on soil, air, and groundwater. And it seems like the chemical age is quickly fading. 
And what I mean by that is growers are starting to look at soil differently. A lot of terms or buzzwords are popping up. Terms like nutrient dense, natural, sustainable, regenerative, holistic, ecological, chemical free and non-GMO. Uh, but when I when I say bring the soil back to the way nature intended, I guess this is kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, I believe in creation, and I believe that the six days of creation had a plan. And I believe this plan was organic, it was natural, and designed to work, and has worked for thousands of years. But when Mother Nature isn't respected or appreciated, she will let us know. And I like the terms Mother Earth or Mother Nature. I think they're very accurate. And I think that's where the famous phrase comes, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. So when we examine the components of healthy soil, I believe it resets everything back to the beginning or in the time of creation. And when we examine what makes up a healthy plant, I find that agriculture has strayed from the straight and narrow. So I like the term healthy when defining soil or defining plants or people. And there's a, a definition that's short and simple. Healthy is without disease or impairment. And healthy soil is attainable. Our creator showed us this with the Garden of Eden. And I've never heard a preacher talk about a fertilizer manufacturer, chemical company, or genetic modification lab being next to the Garden of Eden. Now, you'll hear chemical farmers say, oh, nearly seven billion people, we have to feed the world. Well, many countries do not want genetic modification in their feed system and their food system. And uh, if we have to feed the world, why are chemically grown genetic modified grain prices so low? Now, I've, I've heard it said that people won't change until the pain of change becomes less than the pain of remaining the same. Interesting. Um, yeah. That <laughs> makes a lot of sense. And, and, uh, and certainly there is a, um, uh, a relationship with nature that we develop when we spend time in nature. And I was talking to Fred Provenza about this a few podcasts ago who really comes from this aspect of he was a uh, mountaineer before he was a farmer and a grower, and that's how he found, uh, you know, his uh, church, as he called it, which is the space in the mountains and that uh, connection with nature. And so, you know, that's what I really what I'm hearing for you is that uh, when we're talking about bringing soil back to the way nature intended, we're talking about um, bringing back also that spiritual connection we have with nature itself. Do I have that right? Well, I sure think so, and I agree with you. And it's kind of sad because uh, after church, a lot of times we'll have a potluck. And in our small community in South Dakota, the conversation will always go to farming. Hmm. And my neighbors don't appreciate the fact that when I tell them, it's like, you know what, fellas, our dads and granddads 
bought and paid for land. The land that we're farming right now with half the yield and half the price per bushel. They don't appreciate that, but that's the reality. And right now, uh, South Dakota farmers and Midwest farmers on corn and beans, they're having a tough time breaking even, and that's that's horribly sad. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, to your point, it, it, that is human nature. That is what takes us to change is we don't that inertia of success uh can last long after the success is over i think um you know we, yeah and i, I do uh, appreciate that um uh let's talk about kind of where you started your career a little bit and kind of how you got to this point um you started your career studying in south dakota and working uh kind of graduated in the mid 1980s correct and and could you help us kind of paint a picture of what was the agriculture industry like then and what were the pressing topics that you were ready to tackle out of college <laughs> well, if I could go back a little bit further sure. into college, my pressing uh, problems that I was trying to tackle were going on at the university. And what I mean by that is uh, at the university, uh, almost every upper level core class that I took gave me more questions than answers. And what I mean by that is uh, I was registering for classes and I saw class weeds and their identification. I thought, wow, that's for me. So I signed up. Well, now looking back, I, I should have known better because the class was exactly titled accurately. Mm-hmm. Identification of weeds. Now, don't get me wrong. It's great to identify a weed but I didn't want a relationship with the weed. I didn't want to get to know it on a first name basis. I wanted to figure out what it didn't like. I wanted to get rid of it and I wanted it to be nothing but a memory. And sadly enough, my questions weren't answered on why a weed grows. And in the same thing on the animal science department, we had uh, disease classes on how to identify diseases but nothing was taught on how to treat or more importantly, how to prevent diseases in livestock. And it seemed like they were teaching nothing but reacting to symptoms. And I guess that isn't what I was, uh, was shooting for when I went to college. Interesting. Interesting. And were you alone in that or did you have classmates who were also pursuing that? I was the weird duck, and I, I always have been, and and I guess I think I probably had a dad different than theirs, because every time I'd come home to help dad at the farm on weekends, he would he would ask me the famous question, "What did you learn in college this week?" <laughs> and I would tell him only to hear an agonizing groan. It's like, well, hey. It was your idea for me to go to college. And he would politely reply, says, they're filling your head with useless knowledge. I expected more. Interesting. And so, so, and the philosophy that I came from that I was raised with is dad would say, if there's a weed out there, we're missing something. Or Mm. if an animal got sick, we're not doing something right crops are resilient the soil is resilient we're not paying attention now he wasn't an organic farmer uh, by definition 
but he did believe in organic ways. He did not want to use commercial fertilizer. He did not want to use chemicals. So I kind of had a pretty good start from my dad with good common sense and logic rather than trying to figure out how to keep reacting to a symptom that you'll never win at. To find that silver bullet that you'll never really find in the end there. No, that makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, 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 that that kind of helps answer the the next question, but uh, you know how you piece together this uh, strat these um, tactics and strategies for helping develop soil health and the company that you developed in the long run behind this. Uh, but you know, was there an epiphany for you, or was it really just kind of a uh, uh, gradual creep in your consciousness of all these ideas that that formulated this? <laughs> well. I can't remember any blast of an, of an epiphany, but it was definitely gradual. And I, I guess after my after college, my search for truth continued. And this was before the big chemical age hit, and it's before genetic modification came into play. And there were weeds, and there were there were grasses, and there were diseases, and there were things, and. Uh, I just, I, I wasn't finding the answers and I, I wasn't sure what exactly I was looking for and I really wasn't sure where to find it. Um, being hired by the animal pharmaceutical and biological distributor, basically a vaccine and antibiotic company, and they also had nutrients, mm -hmm. I thought maybe that would be where the truth lied that I was seeking. Sure. And I moved up the ranks and, and became a technical director, and golly, that sounded like a wonderful uh, position. And it was definitely a well-paid position, but I found out that I got to do a lot of autopsies. And these autopsies, unfortunately, were in January with blow and snow, and I was sawing through frozen carcasses trying to get tissues and, and get samples and on the other side of the coin, I was able to do uh, autopsies in July and August in 100 plus temps. And words can't describe the colors and the aromas that you get with bloated, dead animals. Uh, and you're cutting them open looking for pieces. And it, it was definitely a learning experience. And one thing I found with that is I befriended an elderly vet. And I also uh, got to know a German nutritionist that I worked mm -hmm. with. And they started to give me tidbits of their wisdom. Now, when I say wisdom, I mean knowledge that has been practiced and replicated over years of hands-on experience. And at about that same time, I, I met my future mentor, which I didn't realize it at the time, and uh, he had a class that I signed up for. And before the meeting, I introduced myself and I started telling him about who I was and what I did. And he politely interrupted me and he says, yeah, 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 I know your mom. He says, your mother has told me all about you. You're well-trained from big corporations and you've sat down with the technical vets and you've been on the inside of a lot of big meetings and big boardrooms. But he says, you're no better than the rest. He says, you're a parasite. And as he put his hand on my shoulder and slightly leaned towards me, he said, if you really want to do something good, he goes, stop 
reacting to symptoms and correct the cause. And as mm. quick as he said that, he patted me on the shoulder twice, turned and walked away. And I thought, what the heck? He just verbally kicked me in the plums. <laughs> That's uh, and we'll, and continue. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, and and the verbal abuse continued because uh, he started his meeting, and within 28 minutes of the meeting started, he came over to my table and quietly said, if you don't have the ability to sit back and truly open your mind and there is no reason for you to be here, and he laid my check down that I'd written for the admission of the class, he laid it down face down, and he went back to teach it. Well, I wasn't sleeping or making faces or not paying attention in the class. And I tell you what, it spooked me because it was like he was in my head. Hmm. And very quickly I found out, it's like, okay, this is my mentor. And the true learning then began. That is a, that is a great story. I appreciate you sharing that because I think that's, um, uh, we're always searching for that in life a little bit, is that uh, corrective voice or that lightning bolt that uh, helps us connect the dots and piece things together. Uh, um, and sometimes uh, the best case scenario is when that comes in in a form of a mentor or a, a, somebody you can really work with uh, your entire life and learn from. That's, um, that's, a, that's a great story. And, you know, a lot of times when we talk to, to young farmers or new farmers coming into the industry, that's our biggest piece of advice is find those people because that's going to make your life so much better and stronger in the long run uh, and your operation stronger than trying to do it on your own and figure it all out. Uh, so I really appreciate that story. Uh, well, it, it, it's kind of funny because at the time he had a saying that I didn't agree with and I thought it was pretty cold and calloused. He says, as you go through life, he said, about 2% of the people that you will meet will actually have the ability to think. And he said, 18% of the people you meet will think they think. And 80% of the population would rather um, wait to see what the top 20% did and then follow them. And I thought it was very interesting that uh, the true thinkers, the innovators, I think are definitely in the minority of the population. I agree. And, and that's really what's fascinating uh, to me about, you know, large societal movements or change and, and how those uh, how those actually occur, and we look at agriculture, and to your point, this uh, uh, kind of unmarriage that's happening right now to the chemical dependence, and that uh, they're starting to see some holes poked in the, in the uh, promises that were made um, with those systems. Um, and so I, I sense that we're kind of right at that point, right? There is a collective consciousness knowing that there's other opportunities out there. There are ways to farm and grow that's healthier. But what really causes people to change is still a bit of a mystery, right? It, it does sometimes take a crisis or sometimes it takes that epiphany or that hand on the shoulder, squeeze a little tighter than normal, uh, you know, whatever. So that, that's really fascinating and really gets to the heart of how do we communicate what you're teaching to farmers who are looking for those who have that voice in their head but are just looking for that right sentence or word or motivation or reason to start to convert their uh, their operations over or to, to even be, as you put, open-minded to the idea. So uh, when you talk to your, your customers and clients, um, you know, how do you introduce this to them if in, in, you know, are they, do you find that 
the ones that are resistant, what, what helps them really understand the, the common sense or the practical nature of what you're teaching at this point? What we found is as long as what they're doing is financially working, a lot of guys don't want to change. Yeah. And just like you said, at some point in time, a crisis seems to happen that forces growers to change their philosophy or change their look. And, um, and it, it's sad, but it's financial. And the beautiful thing that I've noticed, I'm sure you guys have too, is just in the last few years, there has been this fantastic awakening of looking at the soil and starting to pay attention to it as a living, breathing organism rather than just as a tool that they can abuse and try to get a crop out every year. That, 100%. Uh, and, and even more exciting to us is the amount of investment and science that's going into this field to, uh, you know, it, it seems silly that we have to prove that nature knows how to grow stuff. But uh, for those ones who are really skeptical that, that we can feed the world with, with natural ecology-based systems, uh, the science is only going to help our argument, and we know that the science is proving what we really all see happening in our fields and see happening in front of our eyes at this point. So uh, 100%, I, uh, we are hearing that, and we see all these lines crossing um, in the future uh, at some point where we really will have that benefit of the doubt transferred from us back to the conventional folks, uh, and that's really the that goal in the long run. So um, uh, before we get into soil works and kind of, I want to talk about, you you mentioned something about the soil being a living organism and I really want to talk about that next. I wanted to talk first real quick about um, how you started soil works and when did you start soil works and kind of what was the approach uh, and and how did that all begin? Uh, (laughs) As I was going through working with the veterinarian and uh and the nutritionist and um and i guess my mentor i realized i had a lot to learn and i had a lot of questions that were finally starting to get answered but it seems like once you get an answer that isn't wisdom it's just knowledge and you and you have to uh you have to practice it you have to perfect it you have to make sure it works. So I, in my mind, there was no way I was ready to start a company because I needed to do more research and I needed to uh, to see exactly what was going on. And the, the fun part about that is uh, my third person that I met that became my mentor, I nicknamed him Merlin. Uh, and, I, and I did that because of his ability to explain and magically make problems go away. And with him, I was just starting to understand how things are supposed to work. And in his, in his, uh, in his own way, he looked at me one day and he said, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We all come from the earth, we all go back to the earth, and we are all designed to eat from the earth. So he went back, he had the same type of philosophy I did, and we didn't realize that we were already aligned with that, which made it uh, incredibly enjoyable, and the learning curve was very vertical. And uh, he had a philosophy that 
every mineral and every living thing on earth depends on available calcium more than any other mineral. And, and he had an incomplete formula for this deionized calcium or basically calcium separated from as many other minerals as you can. Mm -hmm. And he would told, he told me that grams of this formula would do more than two ton of limestone or calcium carbonate. And I thought, oh my Lord, I'm not sure what's worse, him telling me this or me <laughs> paying him to tell me this. But his philosophy was, and what we put together was, calcium is kind of the mother of all the nutrients. And it, it's the first mineral on every livestock mineral tag, and it's the largest volumetric mineral in all healthy, and healthy being without disease or impairment, but healthy things including soil, microbiology, plants, animals, humans. And as he and I and the nutritionist and the veterinarian worked together along with other scientists, he showed and proved to me that everything has a very similar chemical or mineral makeup. And the beautiful thing is calcium and phosphorus, we looked as, as the parents of all the other minerals and the minerals, the other minerals are kids. And calcium and phosphorus have to be available and they have to be in charge in order to keep the other minerals, what we looked at as the children of the, of the mineral world, to keep them in line. And any problem that started showing up in the soil that showed up on the plant, it seemed to go back to a calcium or phosphorus deficiency or tie-up. So it came down to some pretty simple stuff. <clears throat> that um, was that a relief to you that there were the answers weren't the the formula wasn't quite as complicated as perhaps we've been we've been sold. <laughs> you know what? I wasn't sure what to think. Yeah. Be, and because I I had studied with and under some of the most brilliant minds in the world, and here's these these three guys that are really not known to anybody other than their local community, they are bestowing knowledge on me that no one has ever told me. And I had to, I had to replicate it and test it and prove it to see, because I told them, it's like, okay, you three guys, <laughs> you, you have this philosophy. It's like, I've worked with the largest animal pharmaceutical and biological corporations in the world and this is what they're saying and you're saying something completely different why would i believe you and they said because we're not in it for the money Interesting. we don't have stock stockholders so we have to keep happy we are telling you the truth because this is what is right and good like wow we don't hear that enough for reasons to do stuff, right? <coughs> yeah, that uh, uh, that that makes sense. So connect the dots a little bit from there. Then, so you kind of have uh, you've you've had your mentor plant the seed. You've met these um, three gentlemen who have really kind of uh, given you a different perspective on soil health and mineralization. Uh, what's next? Well, he had this this calcium, 
and he was telling me all oh, this is this is the beginning of all healing and i thought oh my gosh i don't know but you know what it's like so i bought a sprayer and started spraying grams of calcium on different types of soil and these were test plots that i had been working with with different growers that that were looking to prevent problems they were looking to correct the cause and these particular livestock units they grew different types of crop they grew corn and soybeans and cereal grains alfalfa hay grass hay uh, native and domestic pastures and we had previously tested all of this ground with soil test and we also did wet chemistry tissue tests on any of the plants or crop that had been removed as well as we also had previous yield data on all these fields and so as i started spraying this crazy deionized calcium on half of all of our test acres i started noticing changes that when the alfalfa was baled or chopped the tissue test showed mineral deficiencies that that field was known for had started to diminish or some of them were completely gone. I noticed that the relative feed value of hay increased and the percent of calcium increased on the tissue test in a, in a scale not even mathematically possible with the small amount of product that we had put down. And we noticed everything starting to change and I saw great results, but I still didn't know how or why it was happening. I needed to understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. And that was our next venture. So uh, I assume biologicals came into this at some point, but uh, uh, what was that adventure? <laughs> well, we, we started testing in, um, in South Dakota and Minnesota. And as we, uh, as we brought this grain and forages in, uh, the, these crops were all fed to different species of livestock. And we looked at laying hens, broilers, turkeys, dairy cows, stock cows, feedlot steers, and hog units. And we monitored their intake on what they ate. We also tested their urine and manure. <laughs> and it was at this time that my mentors awarded me with the degree of manurology. <laughs> <laughs> And they also said that I was now a certified shitologist. <laughs> and, and they were making a big deal, and they had an awful lot of fun at my expense. And I thought, well, shoot, after all the dead animals I've cut up, grabbing and testing some pee and poop was not that big of a deal. Right. But what we found out is the, the animals had a better gain, better fish, feed efficiency. We needed less antibiotics. Some producers even stopped using their vaccines because when the when the minerals were in the right order and available going into their digestive tract, they were able to build the immune system on that animal and didn't need to have synthetic or artificial protection. Interesting. How did, Which I thought was real cool. Yeah. How did they determine that? Was that something that just you know one year they had very little disease and they were able to test their pasture? Uh, you know, grasses that they're grazing on, or how did they exactly discover that? Well, 
in the past, I had been testing mm-hmm. uh, on wet chemistry, testing the all of the crops that were grown as well as the grass, and we were testing the soil, and we were trying. I was trying to figure out, and not getting very far very quick, but I was trying to figure out what was going on, mm-hmm. and and what I found is that each and every mineral, no matter whether it's in the soil or in a microbe or in a plant or an animal or human. Each microbe, or I should say each mineral, has a job and a personality. And it's, it's almost like an assembly line that all of these minerals have to be there, they have to be present, and they have to be available. Right. And what we were finding out is, is calcium, available calcium, is a mineral that enables everything to relax. And it's also contrarily what gives us our structure, our skeletal structure, as well as microbes, their skeletal structure, and the plants, its structure. And it's designed to do that in every way, shape, and form that is presented. And what we found out is when we saw a little bit more calcium in the tissue, um, I learned and, and found out that pigs and cows, they all had less phosphorus secreting in their urine and they excreted less manure with lower levels of undigested feed which we were checking the manure to see what kind of efficiency the digestive tract had give you an example pigs and cows will excrete about 10 pounds of poop for every 300 pounds of their body weight and most poop is about 69 percent moisture and yes, this is just a small portion of why I have a degree in mineralogy, <laughs> is looking at cause and effect. That makes uh, makes it so, um, without getting too uh, uh, into the weeds on, on that, when you were looking at the manure and you were measuring uh, mineralization, or, or kind of the, the outputs from the animals, what was the waste products, were you, were you able to connect that 100% back to the inputs? at that point and as you adjusted the inputs you were able to see the change in the manure at that point it was amazing that the differences that we saw and and what we noticed is as the quality of feed increased not mm-hmm. necessarily just the volume but as the quality increases and what i mean by that is and that's where we started looking at is the feed that most of these livestock producers were growing did not represent the mineral ratios of what showed up on a livestock mineral tag. And having the nutritionist as part of our uh, our group, he would say these are the minerals and these this is the ratio that an animal needs to be healthy, productive, and have longevity. And what we started finding out is as good as a lot of these mineral companies that sell bagged mineral, they can't hold a candle to what Mother Nature can do. And as, as these minerals became in the ratio that the animal appreciated, it showed us that these animals showed us that appreciation by growing faster, by growing healthier, by having more production, by being healthy <clears throat> or healthier. And also, uh, we had a veterinarian there that, that that he was pulling blood 
and, and he was looking at blood panels and the hematology. So we had quite a few different sciences examining what we were doing, and I was basically the, the dumbest guy in the group, so I got to do all the work and pay everybody for their expertise, <laughs> and it seemed to work out okay. Uh, that's uh, Learning's a heck of a thing. That um, I love it. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so we're. Uh, uh, it sounds like you, at this point you're kind of you got you kind of have the formula in the back of your mind working. That you're kind of understanding that there's a system that you can actually replicate and employ out there uh, to other farms and other farmers. Is is that about where we're at? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it isn't. All right. Well, and, and here's here's why I say that is in uh, in my search for for learning, my search for knowledge, my search for wisdom, I looked at a lot of different tests mm -hmm. by companies and by universities, and I was finding out that most of these tests had the answer they were looking for, and the testing company just needed to show how to get it. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, the, the, the data that was being shown wasn't real world so at this time i still wasn't ready to start a company and what i did is i needed to go to other areas of uh, of the u.s to see if i could replicate this again and again right. and so then i went to uh i was in south dakota minnesota at the time so i went to i had growers in north dakota nebraska kansas wyoming montana california new mexico and missouri and uh, I did three more years of, of testing with those livestock facilities on different soil, different climates. And after three years of getting the same data, I then felt that I was ready to start a company. That, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. With that diverse of soil <laughs> types and environments and, and climates, um, yeah, that, that you've kind of got enough variables to wade through at that point to prove, prove concept at that point. So, uh, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So you're at the point of ready to start this. Um, was there an audience for you at this time? I mean, you mentioned that you were the weird guy in college, and it sounds like you were kind of learning this uh, piecemeal that there really wasn't industry or, or anybody that would, uh, you know, that was really ready for you to join at this point. But uh, talk about that. You know, kind of how crazy did you think you were starting starting Soilworks and, and trying to implement this? <laughs> well, I, I knew I was the weird duck from a very, very early age because in college, I would ask more questions than the rest of the rest of the class did, and I found out real quick that a professor doesn't appreciate when a student says we're paying tuition, which means you're basically our boss <laughs> and you're working for us. <laughs> yeah, they don't like that. And uh, not at all. And I got introduced to many of the deans of different sciences and uh, found out that um, I, I wasn't going to get what I was looking for. And because it, there were too many different sciences involved that are needed to be involved to understand life. And life, whether it be in, in the life of the soil or in a microbe or in a plant or an animal or human, life is pretty difficult to understand. Right. So, and uh, when I when I walked away from the animal pharmaceutical, uh, really good paying job, I had several of the manufacturing reps call me and say, "Hey, let's go out for dinner. We're we're concerned about your mental health." <laughs> uh. <laughs> and, and and this was real. And they go, uh, 
you know what? We work for the biggest companies in the world. Don't you think that if this calcium thing and this soil and nutrient thing, don't you think that if you were to have the missing link or this famous secret uh, information, don't you think we would have found it and brought it out? And I said, yeah, I, I used to think that. But I now realize that I said the companies that write you a check, their primary goal every day is to keep their stockholders happy. And I said, these companies told me this. And I said, I know this for a fact because they, I showed them the data that I had done on soil, on livestock, on diseases, on conversions, on gain, on longevity, on everything. And it was about a three inch book of information and a particular gentleman looked at it, dropped it in the garbage, and he said, that's all great, but we have to keep stockholders happy so we'll never talk about this again. And that was the day that I went to the garbage can and told him I was raised better than this. And I said, I, uh, I no longer work for you guys. Wow. And a tough day, a yeah. tough day for the young South Dakota lad, not knowing what I was going to do to try to support myself. No kidding. No kidding. That'd be scary for anybody. And I can imagine, um, uh, yeah, and that's, that's you know, there's parallels there of the, of the fear of, of any change, you know, and, and uh, trying to go out and, do, you know, live up to the convictions that you have. I remember, and I quote uh, Dr. Vandana Shiva quite a bit because I love the way she's, she handles the question of, you know, why do you do what you do? And she says, because I don't have to work against my conscience. And she, and I just love that answer, that every day she gets to get up and, and she's not fighting anything uh, internally, that she knows she has the confidence in herself, that she's doing the right thing. Uh, so, wow, uh, uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, let's get, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what you do in the field with farmers and kind of how you help them understand their, 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 uh, the symptoms, uh, to your point, and the causes and how they're correcting those causes. Uh, and I wanted to hone in on something um, that we've talked about a little bit. You said the soil is breathing. And I wanted you to, and, and the soil is living. Um, could you really help us understand that and kind of what is occurring biologically and chemically that would uh, really bring validity to that statement? <laughs> yeah, in fact, it's funny you should ask that because um, many years ago, when I would talk about soil and plant respiration, I would get looks from some guys in the audience like I had a horn growing out of my forehead. <laughs> That's exactly why I asked and, that question. Uh, yeah, yeah and, and not that I know of, of any horn, but um, <laughs> here's a beautiful thing. What, what, I'll, what I'm about to ex explain is part of the carbon cycle. Mm -hmm. And to understand this is we need to jump into the science of meteorology for just a moment sure. to understand weather patterns. And when, you, when you're watching the weatherman do, do, the, do his thing, and he talks about a high-pressure front, this is extremely important for the health of the soil and microbes and plant, because a high-pressure front is heavy, sinking air. And this is designed to push air into the soil. And uh, that's one reason why we like to do a surface tension check of the soil because we want this heavy sinking air to penetrate as deep into the soil as possible. And the reason we want that to, to penetrate deep is because atmospheric air 
contains 78% nitrogen and over 20% oxygen. Now, this is important because beneficial air-breathing nitrogen-fixing bacteria like rhizobium, they need this free nitrogen from the air in order to fix it into a plant available source. Now these microbes also need the oxygen in the air because they exhale CO2, carbon dioxide, just like we do. And this CO2 is also heavier than air and it has to be volumetrically exhaled up so the CO2 can get sucked back into the leaf of the plant. Now the plant will keep one of the carbon and it'll keep one oxygen and it'll exhale the second oxygen. This is part of the carbon cycle. So the more CO2 a plant can pull through the stomatas, which are the cell openings in the leaf, mm -hmm. the healthier and more productive that plant is. So we need this heavy sinking high pressure front in order to push air into the soil because any oxygen that the microbes don't use that needs to go to the minerals so those minerals can go from the soil to the plant. My example here is uh, <clears throat> a soil test. Your phosphorus on that soil test will show up as a total P or P1 or P2. Wonderful numbers, fabulous information, but if you contrast that soil test to a tissue test of the plant, Phosphorus in a tissue test of the plant will always be shown as P2O5. In other words, five oxygen for every two phosphorus. If the oxygen isn't there, the minerals are unavailable, they're tied up, they can't get to the plant. So in many cases, a lot of mineral deficiencies that show up aren't because the minerals aren't in the soil, is there just isn't enough oxygen there for phosphorus to carry them to the plant. Makes sense, so compaction is really your enemy at that point, 100%. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, and if, if I could just for a moment, sure. um, I, high pressure front is a sinking air that's the inhalation of the soil. And everything that inhales, it needs to exhale. Well, and a low pressure front is light or rising air that many times brings precipitation. And this low pressure front is the exhalation of the soil. And that wonderful earthy smell after a rain, well, it's partly due to the low pressure front. And many times you will see plants perk up after a low pressure front comes through because it has helped pull CO2 up from the soil so the plant can enjoy it. Mother Nature working and doing her job. Cool stuff. That's uh, never heard it explained like that. I really appreciate that. That's a that's a unique take, and I think a lot of I, I hope a lot of our audience is nodding their heads, uh, and, and that'll be new to them too. I think that's a really interesting uh -huh. um, uh, way to look at it, and and certainly you know I've heard different versions of that, but never really tied to weather patterns and really tied to, to high pressure systems at that point. So that's really really fascinating. Um, the the life in the, the the microbial life, and I know that we're kind of at it seems like we're just at the tip of the iceberg as far as the research going into 
the real uh, jobs that the microbes are doing in the soil. Um, you know, wh- what are you guys looking at and kind of what are you waiting for or what is the next breakthrough that you see happening um, that will help you guys uh, take this to even another level at some point? Is there any studies out there that you're keeping an eye on or tests? We, Yeah, we've looked at a lot of things, and um, we, we, we're always doing uh, different testing. We have a, a research uh, greenhouse here at our office, and uh, two hours north of our office, um, I, I am third generation on our family farm, which has become the the research farm for our company that we're we're always doing different testing on things, and and we normally get as many failures as we get uh, wins, because we're we want to know for fact, you know, does this work? Does that work? Is it is it something that works all the time? But what we found out is there's a lot of great technology and there's a lot of great information out there. But what we're finding is, let's just say that you were having a tough time breathing. You weren't suffocating, but you were only getting a portion of the air and you were struggling to breathe for whatever reason. And I see that you're struggling and your face is red and you don't look like you're very comfortable. And I offer you a cheeseburger or some trace minerals. And you look at me like, no, I just want to breathe, you dum dum. <laughs> and what we're and what we're finding is the lack of air, good, clean, life-giving air, is one of the major components that sets the stage that all of these symptoms are showing up because the soil can't breathe and the microbes aren't happy partying and reproducing. Makes sense. I, 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 I wish you luck with those tests. I'll be curious to see as you guys uh, are learning, even the failures. You know, I, I laughed at that because I, I don't think it's truly a test if you're not willing to fail uh, and fail dramatically sometimes. So I, uh, I really do uh, appreciate that. Um, Let's, I guess let's try to bring it home a little bit for our listeners. We've talked a lot about it. And we've thrown a lot of information at them in the last half an hour, 45 minutes. Uh, you know, what's one or two takeaways that you would want somebody, whether they're growing a garden on their back patio or have 100 acres that they're 1,000 acres that they're managing, uh, what, what's the two takeaways you would love them to take away from, from this podcast and this episode? Oh, wow, good question. Um. Please remember that all soil is supposed to be a living, breathing organism. And it should carry the same personality or texture throughout the whole year. And one of the biggest take-homes that we found is a lot of gardeners or growers and it doesn't matter what kind of farming situation it's in or what part of the world it's in there's a lot of people that are starting to do soil tests which is absolutely fantastic Mm -hmm. and what we see is they will do a zero to six inch soil test they'll probe their soil they'll send it in and the lab mixes that top six inches up and it'll give a set of exact numbers What we're finding is the personality and uh, the movement of calcium, calcium being one of the heavier minerals in the soil, normally isn't in the top portion of the soil. 
And that's one reason why we, when we do a stress test or when we do our field walks, we look at surface tension or how tight that soil is. And we use a handheld penetrometer and we can tell exactly how deep the aerobic zone is or how deep your, your beneficial air breathing microbes are. And we can also tell you without a shovel where and how deep your feeder roots are. And what we're seeing is that if a person's soil uh, in, the, in the middle of the growing season, if it's cracked or crusted, you don't need a lab to tell you that it's not healthy. If, if your soil naturally forms lumps, clumps, or clods, it's not healthy. Right. If your soil uh, easily compacts like you were talking or is possibly easily erodible, it isn't healthy. And visual understanding just like looking at a person or an animal. If you look at a person or watch them or if you watch an animal, you can tell real quick how they're feeling, how they move, how they stand, how if they have labored breathing, and just a good visual of the soil. When you walk on it, if it feels firm and hard, you've got a problem because if it can't breathe, your soil will not be productive for you. Everything good in life has to breathe so i would i would guess and and to answer your question is in most of the soils that have excess magnesium that's what we call the greedy child of mm -hmm. the minerals and when magnesium is in excess you have problems and that's usually the first mineral that we have to get under control get that calcium so, magnesium ratio back to back to order right right that's yeah yeah and, uh, you know, that's why we use a penetrometer. We also use an EC meter, which is an electrical conductivity, which is kind of a form of a dirty heartbeat, so to speak. And a lot of people, when we talk about electricity in the soil, they will look at me with a twisted eye like, what are you talking about? Sure. But please remember that every mineral has a polarity. And, and the polarities have two movements like polarities repel opposite polarities attract and the mineral ratio in the soil just isn't a volumetric thing but it's also an electrical thing mm. and you know once you can breathe if your heartbeat or the electricity of your heart isn't working right it doesn't do a whole lot of good to breathe and so there's a lot of things that we have to look at but the electricity and the ability for soil to breathe is definitely the first two things that a person can do with whatever area they're, they're growing, whether it be a garden or a monster farm, get that soil breathing and get a steady electrical flow in that soil because that's what moves the minerals. And here's the cool thing is we've had a microbiologist tell us that most soil microbes <clears throat> will carry about a half of a millivolt of electricity. And as the microbes are eating and breeding and partying and doing their deal, they produce electricity like a small generator. But these minerals and these microbes have to be in every cubic inch of the soil to do their job or to have a, a homogenized, healthy soil. 
that uh, I, I appreciate that. It really is taking the vital signs of your soil and your growing environment. Yep. And I, I really, I think that's something that everybody can put in their back pocket and remember. Uh, I think I really appreciate that. I got two more questions for you before we wrap up the episode today. Uh, one, uh, we're really excited. Um, for our listeners, Glenn's going to be joining us at the Healthy Soil Summit. Uh, which is a first-year event we're producing in August in Davis, California. We'd love everybody to join us that's listening. Uh, come fill our rooms and, and hear from folks like Glenn. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what you'll be talking in, in August out in California or kind of what your teaching style is like? Absolutely. Um, I guess the highlight for me is going to be the tour of uh, Frank Oligary's ranch. Correct. Yes. Um, and... The funny thing is, when we first started working with Frank, he said one of the first questions he asked, he said, in perennial tree crops, we will have a good year and we'll have a down year. We'll have a good year and a down year. Frank says, I want a good year every year. And then he asked, is that possible? Well, it is possible, and Frank has proven it, and he has good years every year. And uh, not just yield-wise, but also quality. And, in fact, the cool thing about this is the olive oil that is extracted from Frank's trees goes to uh, California Olive Ranch uh, Olive Oil, and he has just won a gold and silver award for this year's competition. So hats off and congratulations to Frank Oligary. But... And he's done a lot of good things, and he was a good grower ahead of, ahead of us working with him. But what we're going to talk about at the conference is basically the top five things in order of importance that can transform your ground, can increase your profitability, can improve water penetration, and start increasing the productivity just by getting healthy soil. And again, healthy soil is without disease or impairment. And it doesn't, you're not, nobody's going to break the bank just by getting their soil back to being healthy. So we, um, we examine a lot of things that other people don't do. And we found shortcuts to help and give uh, most growers a guide into what's the quickest way to being more profitable and to starting to save dollars on their input products. Love it. And that's really at the heart of our event in California is to help farmers really uh, uh, minimize their costs and their expenses every year while maximizing their yields. Um, We know that soil health is uh, the best way or certainly a great way to do that. Uh, So we're focused on we're really going to have um, a good time, and we're really happy to have Glenn out there. Uh, you can learn more about the event at acresusa.com. Uh, if you're interested, uh, sign up. We'd love to see you. Um, last question, Glenn, and I always end this with uh, every podcast with this question, which is um, in the face of the challenges we have, you know, especially to bring soil back to the way nature intended. Uh, we know driving across the Midwest, that seems like a really daunting challenge. Uh, uh, why do you have hope? What keeps you going? Oh, my gosh. That is a heck of a question. Um, Wow. Um, I tell you what, let me see if I can see if this makes sense to you. Sure, yeah. I look at at Mother Earth, and it was basically a gift from our creator. Um, She was created and started out being organic. 
Um, I think Mother Earth has gone through a lot of changes. She's gone through an ice age. Uh, she went through 40 days and 40 nights of rain, which I understand was a heck of a flood. Uh, she's witnessed the extinction of dinosaurs. And Mother Earth is resilient and tough. I, I don't believe the human race is tough enough to permanently damage her. I, I think we have definitely tested her patience, and I think she is giving us warning signs of impending challenges. I, and I think these challenges and obstacles are finally being realized by a lot of growers. And one thing we found is it's hard to fix something when society doesn't realize it's broken. So what we've, I think what we found is we have identified many problems in unhealthy soil. And we can now explain and understand why these problems exist. And uh, last but not least, we can show and use the tools to, uh, to bring Mother Earth back because nah, she may be hurt, she may be down, but she's definitely not out. And the beautiful thing is we have tools and products that can monitor her vital signs. And that's, that's why we're known for our ability to correct the cause. So working with Mother Nature, I don't think this is that big of a deal. It uh, goes back to common sense and how everything started. You're exactly right. Uh, uh, Glenn Ravenberg, uh, founder of SoilWorks, uh, speaker, farmer. Uh, so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us and thank you for spending the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. That was Glenn Ravenberg. Uh, thank you again to Glenn and SoilWorks for making the hour with Tractor Time. If you want to take your education to the next level, we got some opportunities. You can subscribe to our magazine. We'll be in Davis, California in August. We'll be in Minneapolis, Minnesota in December. Uh, we are available at ecofarmingdaily.com, acresusa.com. Stop by our office. We'd love to meet you. Uh, thank you for joining us again for this hour and have a great rest of your day. <laughs>